0: means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Future Projection. This is episode 32, I believe, Ben. Um, Let's see if we still know how to do this podcasting thing. How are you doing?
0: I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. Been, uh, uh, little, little sick, a little under the weather, but, uh, pull it out. Like, uh, this will be my, my Jordan flu game, I guess. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It has, it has been a while since our last podcast. Uh, I know previously in this, uh, podcast history, I blamed you for a, for a gap that we had, but I think I have to solidly take this one. The, the month of May was entirely unproductive for me compared to a normal year. Um, There was a wedding, there was an extended COVID stint, there was a move. Um, It's been pretty hectic on my end um, and I'm finally kind of settled and and glad to be back on the podcast with you, Ben, but plenty has happened since the last time that we chatted, at least uh, in podcast form. I think it was late April, which is kind of crazy, but um, yeah, glad to be back on the mic and uh, chatting with you.
0: Yeah, yeah, good timing. Nothing else has been going on in baseball for uh, <laughs> for the last two months. So, um, no. no, we got our updated draft rankings, updated top 100, updated top 30s for uh, every team in baseball. So <laughs> we, we we've got a lot to talk about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Where Where do you want to start? We we just dropped an updated draft ranking, top 300 rankings. A lot of changes in the top 100. Really spent a lot of time. At the top of this list for this update, I think next week at some point we're going to expand to 500. Spend a little bit more time on the depth players. Um, But again, we hadn't updated this list uh, since late April, Uh, so there's plenty of movement on the list. But again, if, if you want to talk about some some minor league players first, we could do that. We can really go in whatever direction you want, Ben. Like you said, there's there's plenty going on. There's there's a lot to talk about. So what kind of piques your interest? We also got a lot of questions today that we can get into later, but um, yeah, there's plenty.
0: Yeah. The, uh, the updated draft rankings are, are out. It's, I'm um, not like a, I mean, I feel like that the top 10 or so guys have pretty much cemented themselves. It, it seems like, or at least the guys at the the very top of the board and then seems like dylan lesko and kumar rocker are two of the bigger wild cards i mean lesko obviously his situation is a little bit more straightforward it's the best i mean he was the best pitcher in the draft and now he's having or has had tommy john surgery whereas rocker was you know a candidate for 1-1 coming into his draft year obviously the situation with the Mets and now it came back and I think Jeff saw him up to what up to 99 with a pretty good slider so it's only been a few innings but it seems like especially in a year where so many so many college pitchers especially like if you're if you're looking for college pitching there's just not much of it um, he's got to be moving himself up the up the board at least early on for for teams I know he's probably going to make uh, uh, at least a few more outings before before the draft comes, though. Yeah, he was a big mover up because of that performance
1: that you're talking about Jeff uh, Ponce, he was there and he has video and a report of that outing if you guys want more details, but basically kamar. Looked like the kamar rocker that that we knew from Vanderbilt he was up to 99 like you mentioned i had heard from scouts who were at the game that he had a, a double plus slider which has always been his bread and butter pitch and you're talking about wild cards and it really does feel like you could pick a random college pitcher off the board. And in our scouting report, we would be calling them a wild card because there are plenty of pitchers who are dealing with injuries. I think, um, even a guy that, that you wrote about Reggie Crawford, I remember reading, uh, you, you had the wild card tag on him just because there are a lot of guys at the top of this board, uh, or at least top 50 range who have really exciting stuff, injury questions. Now with Kamar, he, he, he's long been such a wild card and I really don't know, I don't know how teams are going to evaluate him at this point because he he looks like the same guy. He's he's always been healthy in the sense that he, he's on the field and he's pitching and he's showing good stuff. Uh, so it's really just gonna come down to the medical with him. I mean, you could make the case, we, we we're trying to line up this board and I think the the highest that we probably would have gone with Kamar Rocker at this point was 10. But you could argue him anywhere from 10 to maybe even right outside the first round if you wanted to. I think outside the first round at this point would be a little bit light, just just given the state of this college pitching class. And if you pull up any college pitcher who we have in the top 50 and try to make the side-by-side case, Gamar Rocker versus a Landon Sims or a, or a Gabriel Hughes or a Cooper Jerpy, it's really hard to not lean towards Kamar Rocker just in, in terms of stuff, in terms of body work, size, uh, overall upside. I mean, he, he has a lot going for him and so much of this is just gonna come down to the medical. And then you also talked about Dylan Lesko. He, he's been the top pitcher on our board really throughout this entire process. And as we were getting feedback for this last update, post Tommy John surgery, um, he's right behind Brock Porter. Again, I think you can make a case For Lesko to be the top pitcher on the board, still, just depending on how risk averse you are, and I think it's a lot easier from my perspective too, to be a little bit um, less risk averse than teams would be, because I'm not the one who's who's actually making these picks and actually has to deal with whether or not the player pans out. But it is weird to me, Ben, that we've been talking so much about pitchers so far, when really this class is is being banged for pitchers, and and all the hitters at the top seem like the uh, the most exciting part of this draft class, but. It, it was good to see Kamar Rocker throw well. Um, yeah, I'm really curious to see what happens with him in the draft. I feel like his, his range is maybe, – maybe his range is getting tighter now that he's throwing again, but uh, I'm fascinated to see which team is going to be the one that kind of makes the move
0: on him. What do you think happens with Lesco? Do you think he has a chance to go in the top ten picks? Do you think there's some outcome where – He he maybe falls out of the first round, but some team with extra picks pays him a giant bonus later on in the draft, or or do you think there's some outcome to where maybe he ends up making it to campus, potentially, and then (laughs) Vanderbilt gets uh, another big, big arm.
1: Yeah, I think regardless of what happens with Lesko, Vanderbilt is going to wind up with with a big arm or two from this draft class. Right. They just have so many of these guys who are, who are highly ranked, committed to Vanderbilt. And as we've seen with, with previous years, a lot, of these, a lot of these high school players aren't going to get the money they want. There's not enough money to go around to, to satisfy all of the, the asking prices that some of these elite high school players are going to be going for. Um, so, so whether or not Lesko gets there, Vandy should be in good shape on the mound. Um, but yeah, I've been asking this question to pretty much everyone that I've talked to when, when going over this list with people in the industry, um, trying to line guys up and, and make the tweaks that we need. I still feel like someone is going to pay Less Lesko. Um, the upside is just too significant. And he was the separation between him and the second best pitcher on the board throughout the draft process up until his Tommy John surgery seemed so so significant that it would really be shocking to me if there wasn't a team uh among the 30 that took a shot on him i mean we're we're talking There are going to be all of these college pitchers whose stuff and talent is not um equal to lesko who are going to get drafted and obviously the high school factor is a big one he's got much more leverage than many of these college pitchers have he's got a strong commitment um to Vanderbilt, a good program that he probably values pretty highly, but there are just too many teams here that have the money to do it. In my mind, um, I could see him slipping inside the top 10 and getting paid. I think it's more likely that he winds up somewhere in the 10 to 20 range. That's, that's the range that, that I keep getting back most frequently when I'm asking people about this. Um, there are a number of teams that have a lot of bonus pool money in that range. The Mets obviously have a lot with multiple picks there. With the compensation pick from Kamar Rocker, they've got almost $14 million in total bonus pool money. And perhaps having a second pick there makes them feel a little bit better about being aggressive. The Padres are a team that that has never shied away from taking high risk, high reward players. They've got $10 million of bonus pool. The Reds um, at 18, they've got a lot of bonus pool money in our last mock draft. um, I put Lesko to the Reds and largely um place them there because of that financial aspect because of the pool money that the reds have because of the picks that they have after the fact um i think there are, we've seen teams get really creative um in terms of moving money around overslotting and underslotting guys i mean the mets a few years ago not to the extent that I, w- I would assume that lesko is going to be paid but they took Brett Beatty and then they got Matt Allen uh later in the draft with a big overslot bonus i think it was 2.5 million um i can look it up but but yeah, teams do this every year. And I I just feel like, man, and and even after the Padres uh, the guardians have been a team that they've taken um, high risk, high reward, high school players in the past and, and players with some injury history, they were the team that took Bray Aiken a year after he didn't sign with the Astros. Um, So there are, there are just so many teams that I feel like would do that. I mean, the Phillies at 17, they've gone back to back first round uh, prep, right-handed pitchers. And I think Lesko is better than both, Mick Abel and Andrew Painter at the same time. I don't know that I would wanna be an organization that, that goes three times in a row on high school pitchers as your first round pick, but I mean, they've clearly shown that they're willing to do that. Um, so, so that's kind of where I'm at. And, and I guess just to close everything out, you never really know what's gonna happen with the draft. We always have these conversations before the draft and people, I feel like you start hearing the same information over and over again and you start to have more confidence in that information just because that's what you're getting. But really, no teams know what's going to happen at this point. And I, I feel like just don't don't be too certain either way. If you feel strongly one direction or another, just just know everything. It gets pretty crazy in the draft. And, and this year should be no different. But what are your thoughts on uh, tripling up on high school right handed pitchers? Ben, do you think that like I, when I was doing research for the last mock, there, there are only two teams um, this century who have gone three straight first round picks um, and put those towards a high school pitcher.
0: I mean, if it's the best player on your board, I wouldn't let what you've done the last two years dissuade you from taking a excuse me for a player from the same same demographic, especially when the last two players that you drafted, especially Andrew Painter, <laughs> is looking outstanding so far. Um, so I could certainly see that happening i think lesco fits that same mold as a uh you know big physical not the obviously the physicality of an andrew painter but uh power stuff with some touch and feel to go with it so uh that would that would not surprise me at all to uh to see a move like that happen especially when there's just just i mean if, if, you know, these, these top 10 or so bats, if they're gone, I, I think it's a, a move that, uh, yeah, like I said, would, would not surprise me to see that happen.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, and I, I also wonder, too, we always hear best player available, best player available. I, I really am skeptical at this point that the industry always does that. I feel like the the financial... I feel like teams really do think about the the player profiles they've taken in previous years, their organizational strengths and weaknesses, and and certainly the money comes into play. Maybe, maybe it would be best player available if it was a hard slotting system, but I don't know. I'm skeptical that (laughs) how how many teams in the, in the industry in the draft do you think actually are taking the best player available every time? It, It doesn't seem like that. If you just look at the draft results, look at the money that's handed out. I think teams, we always hear it and maybe their boards are just, that much different but especially with like things that the orioles have done i mean the royals last year with frank mazucato it's very common for these just financial games to be played and and i'm just bringing this up because that that just frustrates me i'd much rather have hard slotting and pick trading so you could still be creative but we're still lining
0: up uh, the players in terms of talent yeah i mean i think you'll certainly have situations where teams are you know cutting under slot deals with players to try to get, you know, maximize or what they view as maximizing the overall talent pool that they're bringing in through the draft. But if Dylan Lesco was sure. sitting there and, and and your board has him, you know, graded out significantly higher, especially than the rest of the players on the board, then I, you know, just because he drafted two high school right handed pitchers the last few years, especially when it seems like they're having success, at least early on with that route. I mean, that's one of the dangers of high school pitching is it can look good early on. And then there's so many things that can still go wrong between now and the time they get to the big leagues, which is why there's so much risk. I mean, like Dylan Bundy is a good example of somebody who looked amazing in high school, looked amazing early on in his minor league career. And then I mean, he has had some success later on in his big league career. But um you know combination of injuries and some you know atrophy of stuff since he was in in high school there's a lot of different things that can go wrong in between uh you know being a 19 year old high school pitcher and having some sustained success at the major league level yeah
1: absolutely and just looking at our board it seems like this happens every year as we get closer to the draft there are college haters who move up the board high school pitchers tend to move down the board. If you look at the the last rank and the current rank of players on our current 300 on the site, um, you'll see that there are a lot of players in the top 50 range, even top 100 range, um, who are trending in those directions. I think the, the biggest, not the biggest, but one of the biggest up arrow players from our last ranking to now is um, Tennessee center fielder Drew Gilbert, who is solidly in the first round range at this point I feel like he's got a chance to be the first Tennessee player off the board and if you told me that two months ago I would have been very surprised with with Jordan Beck being in the same lineup with Blake Tidwell on the mound Um, but Drew Gilbert has just been fantastic he's been one of the best hitters on the best college baseball team in the country he's got tools uh, he's fast he plays center field he's probably going to stick there he's got big exit velocities he's just been such a performer um, and there are a number of, I'd say we were talking about, I don't know if we talked about it on this podcast, but earlier in the year, we were talking about the lack of of college hitters at the top once you got out of this elite tier. And I'm looking at our draft board now, and I feel like there are a lot of really interesting college performers who have moved themselves up the board. Um, and I feel like their overall package of of tools and profile and performance is really exciting. Gilbert is, is the top guy in that category, but you also have guys like Jacob Melton, oregon state another outfielder ryan cermak at illinois state who's super tooled up and and then dalton rushing catcher at louisville who has hit all year again another guy with with really impressive impact ability and it sounds like the reviews on his defense have have really improved as well so there are just a lot of hitters even after we get out of this top 10 range that i would be excited about And, and sorting through this kind of second or third tier of college outfielders that includes a Gilbert, a Jacob Melton, a Dylan Beavers, Brock Jones, Jordan Beck, Sterling Thompson, Ryan Cermak, and even like a Spencer Jones, maybe further down the board. I feel like he's a guy who maybe is a little bit more polarizing, but he's had a phenomenal year with Vanderbilt. He's got real tools. He's kind of a freak athlete for a guy who's six foot seven um, and is performing. So the, the hitting in this class, I'm very high on. I know there's a lot of people who are who are kind of down on the draft class at this point, just because of the lack of pitchers, but man, it, it seems like college hitting is what you would want to take. And there's a lot of really good bats in this draft in my mind.
0: Yeah. It seems like there's going to be a lot of college bats potentially going just in the top 10 picks too. And maybe even first overall with, with Brooks Lee. I mean, I don't, you don't know what the Orioles are going to do. I'm I'm guessing Kevin Parada is like, even if he is high up on their board, like will probably not be the pick for them with Adley Rushman. Here, here, there, see, here's it, the, here's
1: the best player available conversation right here, Ben. If you, if Kevin Prada was your best player available on your board and you're the Orioles, what are you doing? Let's just say that, let's just say you're in charge of the draft. You have Adley Rushman on your big league team right now. Kevin Prada let's say he is like the consensus top player from your scouting staff. What are you doing? Are you just taking him and figuring it out? Or are you trying to go deal hunting um, and taking whoever's in that next tier of players because you just don't want
0: another catcher? I think it's different when you have a catcher. Yeah. Why? Because there's, there's, because we're like, so where are you going to put Parada at third base? No, you You put him a catcher.
1: If he plays well. You're, you're in a situation where you have two great catchers, trade one, just trade one and fill holes that way. And if the bat is good enough, move him to another position and see if you can figure him fill him out in the lineup that way.
0: I think, I think with catchers, it's different, especially when you already have Adley Rushman, who looks like your franchise catcher. I mean, like if you sure. have Carlos Correa and mm-hmm. you draft Alex Bregman, okay, you can move Bregman to uh, second base or third base, or you can move Correa around and, mm-hmm. and obviously have L2 too like, all right, that, that makes sense. You can move a guy to a different position, but like the gap, between, I mean, not that we have Kevin Parada number one on our board anyway, but it, it's not like the gap between Kevin Parada and the next guy is that great. Anyway, like there, there are other good options in, in that but, situation. But do you think that i i I was just talking
1: to to a scout recently and he made the comment that he thought too many teams would draft based on org need and if they had a spot for a player and he was making the comment that if you always take the best player available you're going to end up with more value and then you can just fill the holes you need via trade like you, you don't always need to think about oh we already have a catcher here so we have nowhere to play this guy well if he's the best player available and he hits like a pretty good asset to have would be an, an offensive oriented guy who has a really impressive bat and power and can catch the, the catchers in major league baseball are not good right now, uh, just in terms of their offensive value they're bringing. So I feel like that wouldn't be a, a, a bad
0: issue to have. It'd be a good problem to have in my mind. Right. I mean, he has trade value certainly, mm-hmm. but again, I, I think it's, it's it's really more catcher than anything else. Like, I don't like you. All right. We have plenty of pitching in the system. Fine. Draft more pitching outfielders guys can move around to different spots in the outfield. Same with shortstops. Um, that's not like a, a big deal to me, but I I just think catcher is the one position where like, if, if you have to move one of those guys, you you just can't really so easily move one of those guys to a different spot on the field. And if you do, it's a a lot of the times it's probably going to be to third or you don't want to move him first page. Yeah. And and you're gonna lose a lot of value that way. And yeah, like you can have trade value, but still, it's not super easy to just make a trade <laughs> for the exact guy make the trade <laughs> that you want. It's it's. I mean that that comes up too in the talk about trading for draft picks too. Like in if they have the international draft, they're gonna make it so you can trade draft picks. It sounds like, and I I like that idea. I like giving teams more freedom. But at the same time, it's it's not it's not that easy to just say, all right, well, we're going to make a trade. You have to find the right trade partner. You have to find the right deal. It's it's not as easy as just make you know creating value in theory. You have to have an opportunity to actually capitalize on that through a, through a trade. Fair enough, Ben. Fair enough.
1: How excited?
0: What, uh, oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say we had uh, one of the one of the bigger movers up the board too. maybe just in term, not in terms of the you know he was already in our top 10 but Jackson holiday moved up to you know the territory where he might be a top five or at least in consideration for being the one one overall pick this year um I liked him a lot last summer uh, but it sounds like he's really transformed himself since then, what was it about him that he did this spring? Obviously the performance was Mm -hmm. outstanding, um, but what was it about him that kind of vaulted him above guys like Termar Johnson and Mm -hmm. Elijah Green and and some of the top college hitters too in the class? Yeah. I feel like
1: you talked about separation earlier. I, I feel like there's not a ton of separation amongst those high school players. Really, once you get past Drew Jones, it seems like Drew Jones is the clear one. We've consistently gotten that feedback throughout the spring. And once you get into the Jackson Holiday, Tamar Johnson, Elijah Green tier of players, it, it really seems like they're they're pretty close. Some play. Some people will prefer the upside of Elijah Green. Some people will prefer the really polished hit tool of Tamar Johnson. I feel like Jackson Holiday kind of has a blend of that tool set, upside, and current skills. Um, Obviously, the reason he's moved up draft boards this spring is just because he got a lot stronger. Um, The tools have all gotten better, really, across the board. And and like you mentioned, his performance was fantastic. He's definitely a high school player of the year candidate. Uh, And really, when we were just sending this list around for feedback, I think we had him in the, the number six spot. He was either number six or number seven in the list we were sending around. And pretty consistently, we got feedback to get him up, get him up, get him up. Um, And and so, and the simplest answer is is really just he's moving up because the industry told us that he needs to be up there. And we got a lot of people who thought that really the top three players in the class were Drew Jones, Brooks Lee, and and Jackson Holiday. Um, So I think there is a chance that he goes 1-1. Obviously, Baltimore plays things close to the vest. They always consider a number of options. Um, They could easily just take Drew Jones. They they took the best overall player in the class in 2019 when they were picking 1-1. Maybe they'll do that again this year with Drew, but it, it really sounds like Jackson has a ton of interest among really the top three teams as well. Um, I talked with a couple of people who said they would be surprised if he fell outside of the top three, and and I'm a little bit more skeptical of just kind of running with that because we we heard the same thing for Marcelo Meyer last year, um, that there was no way he was going to get past Detroit at three. Um, he fell all the way to four, but still, um, things things change, deals get made prior to the draft, and you don't really know how it's going to shake up. But but I really feel like with Jackson specifically, you have a player who you look at his tools, and he has above average or better tools pretty much across the board. Um, he's gotten a lot stronger. He's he's a really good hitter. I don't think I saw the best of Jackson Holiday as a hitter over the showcase circuit when I was watching him. It, it seems like at that point he was really hunting home run damage and got a little bit out of himself, swung and missed a little bit more um, than he typically does. But by all accounts, he's got a chance to be a plus hitter. Um, He's got a body that's still gonna keep developing and adding strength. He's already added a ton of strength. He probably is gonna grow into above average power potential. He's a plus runner now. He's a really good athlete. At shortstop, um, the people highest on him think that he's gonna stick at the position. Some other people think that he might have to move to maybe a second or third, but he's got a really good arm, so he should definitely stay on the left side of the infield. Um, and really, he just he just does everything well. I mean, I think of, of Jordan Lawler last year who just had such a well-rounded tool set and was such a good athlete, um, and, and think that Jackson is maybe a similar kind of player um, where you, you look at him and maybe there was a little bit of swing and miss over the summer, whereas with Lawler his swing and miss came in the spring um but but you really don't have too many holes in his game outside of that and then with Jackson like a number of these players in the class he also has big league bloodly, bloodlines excuse me that a, a number of teams are going to feel really really comfortable with so i think he just checks a lot of boxes and he's trending in the right direction and and kind of doing everything that teams wanted to see him do yeah where would
0: you stack up holiday or compare him with that big time high school shortstop group from last year's class with Jordan Lawler and Marcelo Meyer, Brady House, Khalil Watson. Obviously, we have the benefit of some hindsight with how awesome Jordan Lawler has been, minus health, I suppose. But how would you stack him up compared to, to, to that group?
1: Yeah, I think he would fit right in the middle of that group. I don't know that he would be the top. We had Jordan Lawler at the top, and I think they had Similar overall BA grades um, at the end. I think we had a 65, very high on Lawler and Meyer. I think with those two, maybe you you have a little bit more confidence in their bat. Uh, I would say, but Jackson Holliday certainly has better secondary tools than than Marcelo Meyer, um, at, at least in terms of like quick twitch and explosion in his body. I would imagine, and then with with Brady House and Khalil Watson um both those guys are really freakish athletes I I think he would solidly fit in the middle of that group you could argue him I think you could argue him as high as one if you wanted to I don't know that he would be the consensus one of that group um but I I don't think he would be last either I think just given his uh left-handed bat and and likelihood to stick at shortstop I think he'd probably be above where we had house um and Khalil at the same time so I would probably put him I'd just say 3 right now. I'd probably have Lawler Meyer holiday
0: and maybe maybe that's how I'd go.
1: What do you think about that order?
0: Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um yeah, I like uh man, Jordan Lawler has just been so good. I wish he was still healthy. I mean, I'm not super concerned long term, but man, when he was on the field, he looked so good. Um yeah, I think Meyer It's it's tough too, like I haven't I've obviously seen the reports we have on holiday but it just sounds like seeing from last summer to this spring like he's just like you said grown taller gotten stronger like really really transformed himself i, I liked a lot of the things that he showed last year in terms of the swing and the actions especially in the the batter's box and and the game iq internal clock at at shortstop um just seems like a really you know No surprise, like, you know, smart player, given his his bloodlines just coming from such a uh, big baseball family. And now it sounds like he's layered more strength on top of it and and added some more tools to it, too. So, yeah, I think I probably would would go the same. I mean, it's a it's a diff. I mean, Brady House is just so different. I mean, even compared to like, you know, Jordan Lawler and Meyer, like Brady House is just like a man child since he was like 15 (laughs) years old, or probably even before then um i'm sure but um he's just he seems like a like he fits in like a different box <laughs> than than uh the rest of those guys who are uh probably a higher probability bet to play in the middle of the diamond
1: what did you think about uh cam collier moving up from i think we had him around 17 20 range in the previous update now he's sitting at 10 after his phenomenal year with with Chipola, I actually need to check. I don't know the last time we had a Ju- Juco hitter ranked as high as Collier. It has to be um, maybe Jake Cronenworth
0: or uh, Tim Anderson, I believe. Well, I, I wonder if this is going to be a, 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 the next time we update, he might end up being even higher because it seems like he's trying to squeeze in every possible – Uh, amateur baseball experience that he can before he gets drafted in the first round this year. I mean, obviously reclassified from 2023 class to 2022. So he did all the top high school events last summer and all the All-America stuff. And then he goes to the top junior college program in, in the country, arguably, and dominates there with uh, you know, as a 17 year old, and now he's going to the Cape Cod League. And he's, <laughs> I, I have very little doubt about him hitting. I, I think he's gonna, you know, continue to perform well in the Cape Cod League. And if he goes out there, and I mean, it's, you know, everybody, well, a lot of people complain about the draft date being pushed back, but at least in this one case, like <laughs> it's kind of cool that we're gonna get to see. Cam Collier now going up against top division one arms. Yeah, I think opening a wood bat. Opening day, I think
1: he's yeah. matching up against Carson Wisenhunt, who, I mean, that is, that event is, or that game is gonna have a massive scouting crowd, because I think Carson Wisenhunt is right in a similar situation that, that Kamar Rockers. And in. He's, he's a huge wild card right now, um, has, has definite first round stuff. And, and given this college pitching class, uh has a chance i still feel like to to be the first college pitcher selected um if he performs well in the cape if he looks good and that left on left matchup collier versus Hunt, is is going to be really exciting i think jeff is going to be at that game so uh i'm looking forward to to seeing some video and, and seeing what happens with that but yeah collier is just a he just feels like a special hitter man
0: yeah i mean i don't know how much else he can do at this point but um Again, he's still 17 years old. He would be just getting ready for his senior season right now if he hadn't reclassified. So I mean, I like you know, Chase Young and you know, Jacob berry have good bats and you know, Gavin Cross and then some of those good college hitters who are ahead of him. But I don't know, like what what for you keeps him behind those? Uh, those other college bats that we have in front of them right now. Yeah, well, as you were
1: as you were talking about Collier having a chance to move himself up higher, I, I think he, he definitely does. If he goes to the Cape and he performs against some of the best college pitchers in this draft class after doing what he did in, at Chipotle, it would not surprise me at all if he moved over a Jacob Berry. I mean, you look at Jacob Berry's profile, and he he's a very safe college hitter who you feel good about his Approach, his hit tool, the power production he's shown um, with Arizona and in the SEC this year. Just a very complete offensive player. Um, but Collier certainly has more upside than him. Um, he's got a chance to be a, a good defender at third base. Um, he's not going to provide zero value defensively, which Jacob very probably will. Um, the feedback on his defense this year when he played the field a little bit more wasn't great. So you really need the bat to to just be exactly what you think it is at the next level for him to be a, a productive player. And so if Collier goes to the Cape and just keeps hammering the ball, uh, keeps hitting for average, shows good walk and strikeout rates like he did throughout junior college, maybe shows a little bit of power. No, it wouldn't surprise me at all if at the end of this, he was the number seven player on the board in between Parada and Jacob Barry. I think that's, that's definitely possible. He just challenged himself um, and met the, met the challenge, uh, or exceeded the expectations that that people had for him. I remember talking to scouts um, prior to the year, and they said, yeah, if Cam goes to Chipola and hits 275 and shows good defense, um, that'd be a really good season for him. And he he blew those expectations out of the water, I would say. So he still has a chance to keep moving up the board, like you said, and, and certainly the new draft date
0: um, is going to allow him to do that. Yeah, that's what like I like you know, take him versus Jacob Barry, who's been, you know, playing third base. I, I would take I, I think I would just take everything maybe about uh Collier. Obviously Barry just has more track record and in, in the SEC, which I obviously think is important. I don't want to just dismiss that. So I, I think certainly that's what's gonna get him drafted high. But um I mean I just I just have so much conviction in collier's hitting ability and his power too and and it's it's really a it's a hit first approach too he has big power he he generates that power with such ease too it's uh kind of almost looks like he's yawning and then the ball just goes flying out of the park but it's there is big power in there and obviously you see the physicality that he has Right now, I think there is some risk, just that he's so ends up so big. Maybe he ends up at at first base, but I think, you know, just the way like Raphael Devers was when he was that age, I think he's going to be able to, um, you know, maintain his conditioning to stay at third base. And I, I think it's a, I, I think it's a higher probability bet that he stays at third base compared to Barry, who it sounds like has more. Oh, definitely. Um, that that's definitely the case. Yeah, more first base DH risk too, which which I think puts more. I mean, you've you, you've really got a bag if you're going to first base and and or maybe DH and and maybe Barry does that, but um, you know, I I can understand why somebody might have Barry over him, uh, especially just based on the college track record. Just but for. For me, I think Cam just has a special, special bat and a you know, pretty good chance to stay at third base. So he'd be, he'd be my pick. Yeah, I'm curious to see how much higher he pushes
1: himself up the board. We'll, we'll continue to react to, to what these players are doing and the feedback that we get to get from the industry um, as best we can. And there's still um, more than a month before the draft comes. So plenty of information to take in and get plenty of calls still to be made. Um, yeah, let's pivot over to the top 100 ben because um i've been really bearing down on the draft focus on that but a lot has changed on our top 100 as well and i think entering the year we kind of knew there was going to be a lot of uh, new names at the top of this list um as a lot of the best prospects on the board were going to graduate relatively quickly um but who are some of the the bigger movers up the board um so far this year corbin carroll being in the top five really excites me as a, a guy who has always really Really high on Corbin Carroll, seeing him in the number four spot um, is really exciting, and it's I guess it's even better with him coming back from that shoulder injury and really just seemingly not missing a beat. Um, But anything on Carroll or any other players who who are notable up arrow guys on our top
0: one hundred? Yeah, I mean with you know Rushman, Rushman's still prospect eligible, but with him in the big leagues, Bobby Witt Jr. graduated, Julio Rodriguez graduated, I. I think the top of the top of the list is pretty open right now and I mean like yeah Cor- Corbin Carroll is putting himself in at least the conversation for number 1 overall prospect in baseball I, I don't think he'd be like a a classic typical number 1 type guy but to see what he's doing especially after missing so much time I mean, he's he's hitting, he's drawing a lot of walks. None of that is unexpected. Good athlete, runner. Pre- he keeps hitting defender. for power, too. That, that may yeah, surprised I mean, me a little
1: bit with how much impact he's gotten, to. Like, he's hitting, he's yeah. slugging 631, he's got 13 home runs, 10 doubles in 45 games at Amarillo. Um, yeah, the, the, the power is, I mean, I always knew he was strong, but i'm kind of curious what he's going to hit in like a neutral environment
0: over a full season and doing it off some pretty good arms too it's i mean he's he just seems like a very complete player um you could say the strikeouts are up a uh, a tick this this year uh and maybe that's you know you're seeing that uh a little more power come at the expense of a little bit of contact but um, I I have very little doubt he finds that right balance between contact and impact. It's um, yeah, I think he can really hit high on base percentage type guy, and and the power that we're seeing from him this season is is really really exciting. It's I mean, it's like there, there's not many holes I think you can poke in his game right now.
1: And then just kind of working down the list, one of the players who jumped out to me as well. Um, I, I guess there's a trio of pitchers here who are fascinating for a variety of different ways, but Mackenzie Gore, Yuri Perez, and Daniel Espino, um, being in that 15 to 17 slots there, uh, just fascinating to me that they're all very different pitchers who've had very different paths to this point, but having all of these guys in the top 20, I think we we maybe had talked about Yuri having a chance to shoot up this list uh, in a previous podcast over the offseason maybe Daniel Espino was mentioned as well i'm not sure if if that was the case or not. Um, but are, are you surprised to see Mackenzie Gore kind of reestablishing his status as one of the better pitching prospects in baseball and doing it at the big league level
0: after the year that he had in 2021. Uh, I mean I, I wasn't expecting it. Um to be you know to turn around this quickly um but it's it's always been i mean we had him i think it was the top pitching prospect entering in the baseball zone yeah yeah at uh, at one point and then just the last you know last year or two were were rough so it's not like anybody gave up on mckenzie gore but you can't just ignore how um you know how much how much he'd struggled the last two years but you don't think
1: people would definitely say that we gave up on him just because we dropped him out of 100 that that would definitely be something that people said
0: (laughs) I mean I guess then we've given up on every prospect in baseball except for 100 players so (laughs) I don't I don't I wouldn't agree with that but uh it was that we're definitely you know we definitely dropped him down the list and then we've you know since moved him back up so um yeah i mean what what he's done this year uh did not would not have expected him to turn things around uh and and do it at the major league level the way that he has um this year i don't know i don't know what you were expecting from from him though yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't really expecting
1: anything. I was kind of just wanting to see where he was going to go. We had seen him so good at his best. We'd seen him really struggle. So I had a pretty wide range of outcomes that, that wouldn't have shocked me. Um, but it's definitely been fun to see him figure it out because he's such a fun prospect. And the way he does it on the mound is, is just fun to watch. And um, I think he was one of the first prospects that I went out and watched uh, when I started with, with BA. Uh, it was Austin Beck and then Mackenzie Gore. I w- I remember watching them in high school, and they were both fantastic. And Austin Beck hasn't hasn't really figured it out at the pro level, and Mackenzie Gore has has gone through some ups and downs. So it's just really cool to see a player that you saw in person at that at that level and at that age figuring it out at the big league level. Um, so it's been it's been fun to see, and I'm sure Padres fans are thrilled because I mean they've had a lot of expectations uh, for him really since he was drafted. Um, but yeah, how how about Daniel Espino and Yuri Perez? And I guess. Looking through a list to see the other pitchers we have up at the top, um, really like our our draft board. It's it's very hitter heavy. We still have the same trio of pitchers in Grayson Rodriguez, Shane Boss, and George Kirby that that we started the year with at the very top. Do you think there there is a case for one of these pitchers further down the board um, to eventually move into the the best pitching prospect in baseball? Um, and really, I guess a lot of these guys are going to start graduating, but, but could you see a path for any of these players, maybe moving over at George Kirby or Shane Boz or even a Grayson Rodriguez with, with the injury that he has. now? I know he was absolutely dominant prior to the injury, but what are your thoughts on just the state of the the pitching at the top of the board?
0: I think Daniel Espino might've been trending that way until he got hurt too. So, um, but I, I think Yuri Perez could be, um, I mean, this is still a, uh, teenager who's already in double a uh pretty remarkable body control for his size he's able to sync up his mechanics really well for uh, a guy who's six seven six foot eight throws a lot of strikes and then the reports we have on his stuff too is you know frontline starter type stuff i I think he could i think he has the upside to be a, a number one starter i don't know that he ends up um You know, getting to that, you know, true ace type of level, ultimately, but I I think certainly the upside for him is there. I mean, he's going to be pitching in the big leagues by the time he's uh, 20 or or certainly 21 years old. So, uh, and to see the way he's pitching right now, uh, especially recently in double A. Yeah, if, if he is able to continue just just stay healthy and, and keep pitching like this the rest of the season. And and I, I, mean, I presume he'll probably get promoted to AAA at some point by the end of the year. And, and you have a 19-year-old doing this in AAA. Uh, I think he's got a very good case to be a top 10 overall prospect in, in baseball coming into next season.
1: Are there, are there any questions at all in his game at this point? I mean, it sounds like he's got a pretty complete profile and he ranks as high as he does because uh, the holes that, that he may have are, are few and far between, but, but is there anything that you can point to say, Oh, he needs to improve in this, in this category, or is it
0: more just keep doing what he's been doing? I mean, just, he, he just hasn't played that much. Like we've never seen him throw more than a hundred innings in a season. I mean, his only season was last year, right? So we, We haven't really seen his durability get tested which is obviously an important part of being a a starting pitcher so um but it's not like you can hold that too much against him right now i don't i certainly don't see anything uh you know as far as mechanical risk with him that would increases or or increases durability Risk and and he's you know able to repeat his delivery so well and and throw so many strikes everything to me looks like a, a starting the starting pitcher so as long as he has that durability and and can prove that I think he's like I said got a chance to be a a potential number one starter.
1: Yeah, we'll get into some questions here in a little bit, Ben, but are there any other players maybe further down the list or just players in, in the minor leagues this year who have impressed you or or you've noticed or you, or you just want to mention here?
0: I mean, the, the biggest breakout guy right now is Jackson Churio, uh center fielder with the Brewers who just looks I – I mean, I we th- have him.
1: I think Josh dedicated his Twitter account to to Jackson Churio at this point. so.
0: He's dedicated a good chunk of his life to <laughs> Jackson Churio. I mean, he, you know, big international signing coming out of Venezuela, uh coming into the 2021 season was pretty good in the Dominican Summer League last year and good athlete, good, you know, pretty good swing approach, checks a lot of boxes you look for and, um, you know a young player between the you know good mix of athleticism tools premium position and feel for hitting but uh just everything has ticked up this year and to see him doing it as an 18 year old hitting the way he is in low a already i mean like you said we have drew jones at number one on our draft board so you have two 18 year old center fielders. They're the same age. And uh, you know, I, I think Drew Jones obviously is a, a good player, but if I had to pick one, I would I would go with Jackson Churio. It's mm-hmm. um he's he's a pretty electric athlete. I mean, it's at least plus run, good defense in center field. It could be I mean, it could end up plus hit plus power too at a premium position in center field with good defense um that's that's a really really exciting player we have him at 42 right now on our top 100 and my bet is that ends up being the lowest uh ranking we have for him between now and the time he gets to the big leagues
1: yeah that's pretty exciting and, and when someone told me that that jackson churio was younger than drew jones and jackson holiday and elijah green I was like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, that, that puts it into context what he's doing in the minor leagues, in low A, at that age when, when these other guys are playing their high school seasons, and in the case of Kim Collier playing the JUCO season. But, yeah, it's it's pretty impressive. I think we did have a question about Chirio um, that was asked at one point. Yeah, let's just go ahead and I'll, I'll get into that, Ben, since you basically addressed it, and we can pivot into questions now because this is a good a good transition. Um, Cream City Prospects on Twitter had asked, where would some of the top performing 18-year-olds such as Edwin Arroyo and Jackson Churio rank among this year's draft class if they were eligible? So I, I guess basically your answer is Churio would be the top prospect on the board if he was draft eligible right now.
0: I think so. I mean, I could, you know, people might disagree with that or maybe take Drew or, um, you know, if you, if you really like brooksley i mean i love termar johnson too but um i mean jackson churio has uh, a much better athlete better runner i mean he's doing it already in in low a i mean i can't hold it against you know termar or any of these other high school hitters but we're already seeing it from churio in pro ball and in a full season league so uh and i think there's even more physical upside there with him uh and there's a lot more strength and power coming once he just layers on some more more muscle onto a pretty wiry frame already so if it were if it were me if, if you put jackson churio in the draft i'd i'd be taking him first overall
1: wow pretty impressive stuff from jackson churio um, i'm sure you guys have uh familiarize yourself with him uh, after all the coverage that, that Josh and everyone else at Baseball America has been giving him, but pretty, pretty remarkable season um, and high praise from Ben Badler here. So um, good stuff for him. Let's get into some more questions here. Um, Melman on Twitter asks, what's the word on Judd Fabian this year? Second rounder last year, with a lot of swing and miss or a lot of strikeout questions, showing a lot of improvement this year with more walks than strikeouts. Yeah, Judd, Judd, I think we talked about wild cards a lot. I think in some ways, he is still a bit of a wild card because he enrolled early at Florida, so he's still age appropriate despite this being his fourth year at the program. And like you, like you mentioned, he's walked a lot more this year than he has previously. The OBP is up to 414. Right now, his career OBP is 384. He's just been very patient. He almost has as many walks as strikeouts um, on top of 24 home runs and the same defensive acumen, uh, that he had last year. I mean, it's it's a lot of really good tools. He's at least a plus defender in center field. He's a good athlete. He's above average runner, has plus raw power, and he's gotten to it in back-to-back years in the SEC. But I think teams are just gonna look at that average. He's sitting 239. Um, he wasn't hitting for a high average against SEC competition, um, which is certainly going to matter. And I think while he's walked a lot, the swing and miss is just still there. Uh, it's weird because he's not a guy who chases outside of the zone. It seems like he has a really good understanding of of what pitches he wants to swing at. There's just a contact question. And I think while he has gotten to that power in college, when, when you swing and miss that frequently in your career 246 hitter, you have to wonder how much of that power he's going to be able to tap into when he faces better pitching in pro ball and when he faces teams that are going to be able to um just execute more consistently than even these these really good pitchers in college uh it's good competition but still everything is going to be better in pro ball and so i think there are going to be a lot of teams who who were just worried about the contact that he's that he's going to be able to get to now maybe there's a team out there who who does a really good job with hitting development and has maybe identified the reason for the swing and miss because again it seems like he's got a good understanding of the strike zone Um, And if you can figure it out and and find a way to get him to more contact, all of a sudden, you've got a really good player that um, all the other tools he he checks off. So I think he's probably still in a similar position. It wouldn't shock me if he went somewhere at the back of the first, but I think there are probably a number of hitters who just performed um, more and have a little bit more confidence that they're going to make contact, who are also still um, profiling as, as center field types. We mentioned a few of them on this podcast, but... Uh, I'll be interested to see what happens with him. There just aren't there aren't that many college hitters who have gone in the first round with the strikeout rates and the contact questions that he has had, and the ones that have, I think the the track record is a little bit dicey. So um, that's that's probably where we're at with Judd at this point. Um, yeah, hop in, Ben, if you wanted to.
0: Yeah, I would. I can't see taking him in the in the back of the first round based on what he's shown. I mean, really just the last two years at Florida, all the strikeouts he's had hitting under 250 both years. Not that I'm just obviously looking at batting average, but just the the swing and miss concerns are are pretty significant. And it, I think he's just shown that over the last two years, obviously the bat is super important for me. So, I you know, beyond the first rounds, Eh, you know, I could see, I could see the case for taking him in the second round, but but even there, I think there's quite a few players I would take before, uh, take before, before him.
1: Uh, Tim on Twitter says, uh, "With complex ball kicking off, and yes, Christian Hernandez is the low-hanging fruit answer, but who are you guys excited most about seeing in an actual game
0: action?" He says
1: Rain Doncon is the correct answer. By the way, I'll throw this one to you,
0: Ben. Rainey Doncon, yeah. He's uh, I like Rainey. Thank you for that. (laughs) Yeah, he's uh, he's a good player. I like him. Dodgers, Dodgers shortstop. um, You know, played well last year. Made a lot of good progress Um, with his swing. Was a little out of control sometimes as an amateur, but I think he always showed pretty good feel for uh for hitting and 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 defensively too with with his instincts from just watching him play as as an amateur so um yeah i'm excited to see him uh samuel zavala uh left-handed outfielder with the padres i think is a a really impressive hitter um i think if he I, i i i think he's gonna really hit it's a it's a good swing good feel for the barrel he's getting stronger there's some more power there Uh, i think probably long term it's corner outfielder instead of center field but i think it's just one of the better one of the better pure hitters at the complex league level so i'm excited to see him and i'm excited to see carlos jorge with the reds um smaller no surprise there, I suppose. Um, middle infielder, <laughs> who, um, another guy who I think just can can really hit. Good, good swing, short swing, makes a lot of contact, has speed, some, you know, a little Vidal Bruhan type profile in there. I mean, I, I don't know what to make of Bruhan quite at 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 this point, but just that that type of skill set where he's small quick twitch athlete uh, who can who can really run and who can hit makes a ton of contact and you know some occasional pull power and expect that to be a big part of his game although uh, you know who knows that you know some more power could come later on down the road but uh, you know play in the middle of the diamond athletic run and and a really good hitter too so those are those are two of the names I'm, I'm most excited to see this, this year in the complex leagues.
1: We've got a few questions from Jeremy on Twitter here to round us out. And there, there are more process questions, which I really like to get into, um, than player-specific questions. Uh, one is, uh, he says, I'd love to hear about how you guys handle new information. For example, someone unexpected is performing well, or someone highly touted is underperforming. Basically, how much new information do you need? How many folks do you need to talk to? How much under or over performance is necessary? Um, and I'm assuming he's talking about necessary and making big, big tweaks to rankings. Uh, ben, ben, do you have an answer for this? I, I can talk about my process for the draft, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on this as well. And there's no, I would say, there's no like hard and fast rule for any of this. It's it, it's certainly more of an art than a science, but Ben, you've been doing this for what, two decades now? So you probably had a uh, figured out kind of what your process is specifically for for taking in info and, and when to make adjustments on players and how long you need to wait and, and how many people you need to talk to stuff like that
0: yeah it i mean the answer is obviously just it it depends right it's i mean i think you want to get into the why of why a player is either either performing well or is struggling you, you need to take into account the The sample size, too. I mean, a player struggling for the first few weeks of the season is not usually that big of a deal. It happens. Um, But obviously, the, you know, the bigger the sample size, the greater the concern if a a player is struggling. But, um, you know, you just you you want to talk to as many people as you can uh, about the you know the reasons why that player uh, might be struggling, or or on the in the other end, performing uh, maybe better than than you thought. I mean, like Ezekiel Tovar is is a good example um, this year, shortstop with the Rockies, who's uh, I think he's still twenty or twenty one years old. I think he's still twenty uh, in Double A. He's always been, uh, you know, a really smart, savvy player and, and a really good defender at shortstop but we've never really seen the um the offensive ability that he has shown this year but um the track record of him doing it now is extended for a couple months and talking to a lot of scouts who've seen him in person both this spring and over the first couple months of the season, they're saying, yeah, like this guy, this guy looks like a top fifty, you know, top twenty-five type overall prospect in baseball. It it doesn't look it doesn't look fluky. Um, you know, the the swing is there, the bat speed is there, and then all the other um you know supplementary tools, especially as far as the the defensive side and, and doing it at a premium position or there. So um, you know, you have your, your priors and and you want to be anchored to them to a certain extent, but you also have to be able to incorporate and uh, update with new information and then you lay out the full picture of who that player like in Tovar's cases right now and and you have a, you know, a Twenty-year-old shortstop who projects as a plus or better defender, and now you layer on the new information and the new reports that you have about his, um, you know, his offensive ability, and I think he, you know you don't really have much of a choice other than to move him uh, way way up our our top one hundred list.
1: Yeah, that's a very thorough answer ben i i'd just add for for the amateur side it definitely feels like things move a lot quicker than than it does on the pro side especially when you're talking about a top 100 list um for those players there's just a lot of information and a lot of um track record that has been established for many of these players and so moving the needle like takes a little bit more for when we're we're coming up with the our draft list every update really there there can be massive swings of players jumping up either uh, pop-ups who we really didn't have a lot of information on in a previous ranking who have kind of shown up and, and all the scouts in the industry have run in and just been really wowed with, with the tools or a swing, um, Nicholas Morabito is an example, um, on a recent draft update and, and he'd represent one of the bigger pop-ups in the class this year. It's just a, a player who we didn't really see over the showcase circuit. Um, but scouts love the swing kind of reminds me of Jackson Merrill from last year, another mid Atlantic. Um, high school hitter who just kind of came out of nowhere and has just a really good swing. So for me, it's, it's mostly just like make as many calls as possible and talk to as many scouts as I can who are on the ground and watching these players um, and and do the best that I can to find some sort of consensus opinion on where those players belong or where the talent fits on a draft board. And it's tough because the opinions can, can vary quite widely, on the amateur side, especially as you get further and further down boards. Um, But that's really why it's so important to just talk to as many people as you can collect as much information as you can um, to try and feel confident with where you're putting these players. Um, Jeremy also followed up and asked, um, perpetually interested in your process for transferring folks from the amateur ranks to the professional top 100 and top 30s. What are you looking for? How much pro performance do you need to see, et cetera? Uh, I, I don't know well, that there's a clear answer for this, Ben. But you want to jump at that one?
0: Yeah. Well, I would say tying into the last question too is we're we're also just looking at underlying skill set changes too. Um, not necessarily even just performance. I mean, performance can be indicative of a change in skill set or or just of a player's skill level, but so all right so like for for that question too like ricky tineman for for example would be a good good one where the blue jays drafted him i think it was a third round pick last year and he was like pretty consistently 88 to 93 maybe topped out at 94 and then that was in college by the time he signed he went to he didn't pitch in a game after signing but he went to instructional league And he didn't throw a fastball under 94 he topped out at 98 now it's short stance instructional league like all right how much of that is going to hold over once he is a you know starting pitcher and is going to be throwing you know five six innings at a time in the minor leagues Uh, but you can see there is a change in his true talent level right before we've never seen him throw a pitch above 94 and now we're seeing him top out at, at 98 so we're seeing more more velocity right like jackson holiday is is a good example yes he's obviously gone out and and hit really well too but we've seen changes in his underlying talent level too and just in terms of the some of the raw tools that he has so that that changes his profile so um you know probably should have been even more aggressive in in hindsight uh with ricky tineman and, and ranking him on the um the blue Jays top uh you know we did jump him already into the top 10 coming into the season and, and now he's obviously in our our top 100 so um so you know it's it's not just looking at the performance record itself you're trying to look for changes in a player's underlying skill set and and the uh the the players underlying true talent level which performance can help uh indicate but um you're you're don't want to just elevate a guy because he's uh performing well or or going the other way too um yeah and then for for kind of
1: integrating the amateur players into the professional top 100 and the the top 30s kind of what are the challenges with that what's our process i would say just from my perspective it's, it's really good to have conversations with the whole staff because everyone comes in with different viewpoints and there are some people like myself, and I think I, I can include Josh in this, who are um, a lot more, a lot less risk averse, and we're a lot higher on upside players who, who maybe haven't proven as much yet, but I'll just speak for myself here since Josh isn't on the podcast, but I, I'm more willing to be aggressive with, with a player who maybe hasn't proven as much in their professional career yet, um, if I feel good about their like underlying talent level, uh their upside potential and what we've heard from scouts um there are other players on our staff who are a little bit more conservative with that player type and would maybe want to want to wait a little bit more to push them up and kind of let them prove it in pro ball uh let them establish themselves in low a and then continue to to reward them for for that performance so just the fact that we have a group and I'm sure this is with it with any group of people, you're going to have varying opinions and biases and different profiles that people like. So Getting that blend of feedback and information is is always useful. Um, But what would you say are some of the hurdles or challenges or or notes about the process in maybe implementing recent draftees into a top 100 or or into a prospect handbook whenever we start to to incorporate players into a top 30. Because it is tricky. I mean, on, on one hand, you're looking at a player who maybe is a massive projection prospect who, has, who doesn't come from a, a very, I'm trying to think of a player, like a Trajan Fletcher maybe is a good example. A few years ago, very young for the class, super toolsy, Um, high upside, really athletic, but comes from Maine, doesn't have much track record hitting against even good high school competition. You're comparing that to maybe a player who is in double A or triple A. They're they're vastly different players who are at significantly different points in their careers. Uh, but you still have to line those players up and balance the upside, balance the, um, the closeness to the major leagues. How much do you have to project? It, it can be very difficult. And I'd say it's, it's certainly more of a, more of an art than a hard science, but, but
0: what do you, what do you have to say to Jeremy on this one, Ben? Well, I think rookie ball can actually be very helpful in terms of helping separate out players or, or identify players who, um, you know, might be better or worse maybe than expected as amateurs. I mean, Mike Trout certainly fit that bill. Uh, I remember Bo Bo Bichette when he was in the Gulf Coast League right after he signed. I mean, he didn't get to play much uh, just because of health reasons, but when he was on the field, it was like, holy cow, like, this guy is just hitting the crap out of the ball. Uh, it's the swing seems like it works. There's a ton of bat speed, obviously, and and power in there too. So um, and the You know, we ran him up pretty high up our up our Blue Jays list, and I think he was a second round pick. So um, I think you can actually tell quite a bit sometimes from rookie ball. I mean, it it, it can go the other way, too, with, um, you know, a Keone Cavaco twins first round pick out of high school where he just got there and it was, you know, you could just tell he, uh, you know, he was pretty over match there because even even guys who are playing against you know quote unquote good competition in high school it's it's still high school baseball right it's it's another step up when you're going to um you know whether it's the florida complex league or, or the arizona complex league now everybody's swinging wood bats you're all facing you know pro arms uh they might not always know where it's it's going but you're gonna see uh, 90 plus or, or 95 plus mile an hour fastballs pretty consistently. So I think it can be a, uh, you know, obviously the, the sample sizes are small. Sometimes guys are just totally gassed and, and run down to by the end of the season. So uh, you have to take fatigue into account for, you know, guys who are playing in Arizona and 100 plus degree temperatures or Florida humidity for the first time in. You know, maybe not the first time in their life, but, you know, at the the end of a a long year for them from their from their high school season or or from the college guys, too, especially. So um, but you can see like a guy like Logan Ohapi with the Phillies, who who we just jumped into our top 100 was a a late round pick from the Northeast. You're not seeing him tested against, you know, great competition up there. But another guy who started to pop up more once he got once he signed and got into pro ball and in the Gulf Coast League and people were like man this guy's this guy's pretty interesting uh and now he's he keeps hitting all the way up through double a so far and, and playing pretty solid defense behind the plate too so um i think sometimes people want to uh you know just dismiss rookie ball but i i think there can be valuable information that we can Glean from how these guys look uh after uh immediately after they sign too hopefully
1: those were uh helpful answers to uh to your questions jeremy really appreciate them they're they're interesting just to think through and i think it's always worth uh, just kind of re-examining our process in general um and making sure we're doing the what we need to do to to make our lists as, as best as they possibly can be so thank you for those questions i think that's all we have time for today there are still a few questions that were kind of throwing in the show sheet for next time we had a lot of good ones we can't get to them all but um i still have them down so we'll try and get to them next week um and hopefully we get back on a, a regular weekly schedule i'm not planning to uh to have any other weddings Ben. so i think we'll be okay to um to keep podcasting uh, on a regular You're schedule. One wedding guy yeah, I think, I think so. Um, he might not hear from me again if it's not the case. <laughs> uh, before we get out of here, anything you want to um, throw out to the listeners
0: to be on the lookout for or just anything you want to mention before we dip? Uh, I'll be traveling next week, so I'm excited to get on the road, head down to Atlanta, see a bunch of big uh, amateur events, and then we got PDP and the college national team coming up a couple weeks after that, so uh, it should be a busy and and fun summer but um yeah definitely check out our updated draft rankings uh we're going to be expanding that to uh to 500 at some point uh by the end of the month with uh, uh full reports on on all these guys right
1: yeah that is the plan as soon as we get off this podcast i'm going to be diving back into the list and and keep on writing so uh, we I, I would say at some point next week we we probably will have the 500 out um and then we'll just kind of keep keep supplementing that keep writing up all the guys so we have as much updated information as we possibly can it's where when draft day comes uh hopefully for for all of your teams as players are picked you can go check out the site and, and get more information on players because i know for the most part people are really interested in the, in the top. Um, players, the top prospects in the draft, but once your team drafts them, um, an eighth round pick is all of a sudden a little bit more exciting. And We want to make sure you guys have the information on all those players. So very soon we will be at the VA 500, and that always means the draft is really right around the corner. So uh, for me, I'm just going to be working on on draft stuff. Obviously, um, we got some summer leagues getting started. The combine is is uh, getting close as well. So there are a lot of events, like you mentioned, Ben, that are coming up. They're still going to change. How players are viewed and where they're evaluated at, Um, and yeah, we've got College World Series that's that's coming up too. Super Regionals are about to get started, so um, Mm -hmm. we'll see if Tennessee can uh, can keep doing their thing and and really establish themselves as one of the best college teams ever. Because in college baseball, it's hard if you're the number one seed that that doesn't really mean too much in terms of whether or not you're going to win. But this this Tennessee team is pretty special, so they've been fun to watch, and they've got a lot of real real draft prospects as well. So. I'm excited to then
0: they'll they'll send their whole or their whole rotation off to the college national team when it's done. (laughs) Yep. Uh, It is crazy how how hard that
1: staff throws. I mean, they've got a guy who literally averages 100 miles per hour on their team. Um, and he's like a, a, a maybe low,
0: <laughs> a, low, a low leverage reliever. For <laughs> yeah, it too. It's
1: insane. So yeah, keep, uh, keep up with the, the college guys. They've been covering all of that action as well. And just uh, keep checking out the site and following uh, everyone on social media. I mean, you're going to, you're going to find all of our work. If you do that. Um, he's Ben Badler on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm Carlos A. Colazzo. Um, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for keeping up with the work. Thank you for subscribing to the site if you do. Um, that really allows us to do everything that we do at Baseball America. Um, so we really appreciate that. And thank you um, for your continued support. Um, and I guess we will see you next time. Thank you again, everybody.
0: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you.